Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Still in Motion podcast, where we talk about dance and dance photography from both sides of the camera. I'm Catherine. <laughs> and I'm Jonathan. And this was such a crazy week. I'm okay. So we're recording on Monday morning instead of Sunday morning, just because of travel plans and all the other holiday craziness. And I'm so tired. Like Thanksgiving was supposed to be a time of rest and time to spend uh, time with your family. And I did that, but I also spent so much time catching up on work and I got a lot done, but I'm now my brain is on recovery mode. Did you travel somewhere? No, I just stayed home, but I was working basically nonstop, just catching up on like three different photo shoots I still had to edit and deliver. And I got those done, which is great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But I also was uh, teaching my class this week, this past weekend, and I had a couple of photo shoot things. So I just didn't have any time to rest, really. Yeah. How did your class go? <laughs> well, okay, so let's get into this. So yeah. I had my photo editing class for those of you that uh, missed it or didn't hear about it. And I had one person show up. <laughs> oh, no. So moral of the story is don't plan a class on a holiday weekend when most people are traveling or just getting back from traveling that day. It went really well. We got there. The person um, let me into the studio and we waited for like 15 minutes and no one showed up. So that person left. We decided to call it and I was working on choreography actually for class and then maybe another 15 minutes had passed and someone came in asking if the class was still happening and I was trying to explain to them, oh, well, no one showed up so we decided to cancel it and then she asked if we could still do something, just the two of us. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Because I still wanted to practice, you know, giving the whole presentation because this was the first time I was doing this photo editing part. And it turned out to be a really uh, good and productive session. We started late, so I didn't get through all the material because we still ended at the time when the class was supposed to end. But even with that, I think I my uh, I had too much information in the class, so I I need to go back and figure out how to trim things down now. But it was super helpful being with being able to talk through the editing process, especially the parts where I was showing how to do things in Lightroom and Photoshop. I think I just keep forgetting how comfortable I am with both programs now. And so I jump around. Well, I move through things really quickly. And I would have to like stop, rephrase something sometimes for the person or, you know, slow things down. And that was really helpful. And then just some the way I went into going into Photoshop, uh, I need to like rethink how I do it. So overall, it was good. But from a marketing attendance standpoint it was a total flop (laughs) yeah but for the first class it's actually kind of nice to just have one person and be able to like test it out right like if you had shown up to like a lecture room full of people I think that would be kind of (laughs) scary yeah I mean the one class at least yeah the one thing I wish I had been able to test is how giving the information to a group would change things because with a with a single person one-on-one I think it's much easier to give information and to, to to move faster when it's a larger group i'm always worried about someone feeling left behind or you know it's just a little bit harder to manage time so that's the one thing i i didn't get to test yesterday but other than that it went really well nice yeah it's tricky like i feel like photoshop and lightroom 
like you get like muscle memory with it and you can start going really, really fast. So if you have some people at the class who have used it even just a little bit and some people who have never used it before, there's like a steep learning curve. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Yeah. And I mean, going into the class, my goal was to get them more comfortable with Lightroom and Photoshop so they would they wouldn't be so shell-shocked the next time they open the program up on their own. Because I think with mm -hmm. both programs, when you first open them, there's so many buttons and panels and tools. It's it's a little hard to know where to even start. So my goal was just to show them, here are the things that I use. So now you know kind of where at least to start and what to YouTube and research on your own if you want to do more later on. Because each program even, it's so customizable and everyone has such a different workflow. I kept repeating, I kept telling the person, like, this is how I do it. This is not the best way. It's not the only way. It's yeah. just how my brain works. So I'm going to try and show you other tools, but like some of them I don't use because, you know, like split toning, for example, in Lightroom, I never use that. I never use the curves panel, you know, yeah. but he, this is what and they I do use them in case. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, Perfect you know, example. everyone's different. Well, I think my weekend was, I went out of town. I went to Virginia. Um, it was mostly super relaxing, but I did take a ton of photos, but they were mostly of my dog. <laughs> I, I, was, I was about to say, I kept looking on Instagram and every it felt like every day there's a new picture of your corgi. It's a corgi, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I took like hundreds of photos of him, but then like had to restrain <laughs> myself and be like, I should not post more than three because everything's lining up pretty nicely on my Instagram right now. If I post more, it's just going to take over my entire grid. So had to restrain myself. Took a lot of photos of him, which is I think like kind of a good sign because I've kind of worried that the more I'm doing photography like as a job, maybe the less I'll want to just do it for fun. Um but I still like really love just doing it for fun. So um I feel like that's a really good sign. And then one of my friends who's she's a dancer, but she also is a research professor or researcher in neuroscience at um, Virginia Tech. Um, so she's like, she's, she's down at, um, she lives in Blacksburg. And uh, she asked me if I was going to be in town over Thanksgiving to do a little photo shoot for a paper she's writing. Um, because in the paper, oh, cool. they're talking about um, dance from, I guess, a neurological perspective, but they wanted um, examples of the six, like, Bertiniev uh, movement patterns, um, which are kind of interesting to photograph because they all are, like, head-tail motion. So just one, we had to kind of show, like, both extremes of the movement patterns. Um, but it was a fun photo shoot because we kind of had this, like, outline to follow. Of, like, we need to get these six photos. Mm -hmm. um, or, like, 12 photos that represent these six groups. So that was really cool. It was a little tricky too, because I couldn't really remember that many good places for photography in Roanoke. So I really had to like ask my parents, like, where should I do this? Yeah. Where was it? Cause the one you posted on your Instagram story, it looked really nice. That hallway. Yeah. That you were in? It's like, there's a glass tunnel that goes over some train tracks. Oh, cool. Like it connects a parking garage to a hotel basically. I mean, honestly, those are the best. I remember um, at Maryland, there's a building that has that similar look. And I went there for graduation pictures once. And it's just so nice how you can get the background kind of blown out because there's so much light. 
mm-hmm. so it's really bright and airy but then you have the nice leading lines because it's a hallway yeah i kind of wish i shot the photos like landscape i shot them vertically because she's tall and she was jumping a lot but the leading lines were really nice horizontally um but yeah the light was really i mean you're surrounded you're in a glass tunnel so you're like just surrounded by natural light yeah. which is awesome but then also with like a zoomed lens with compression you don't see the outside like i tried to mm-hmm. take some photos with like a bit more wide angle and then you see grass and like the sky but when it's more compressed you just see like pillar after pillar and it lines up so you actually can't see anything outside yeah yeah so it's a really cool spot i want to go back and do more photo shoots there on friday i had a family portrait session which was really I had such mixed feelings about it. So this was with a family that used to dance at the studio I teach at. So I know them pretty well. And we had set this up like two or three months ago. The mom had messaged me on Instagram and asked if I did family portraits. And I don't. But this was one of those, it'll be a good opportunity to try something new, break out of my daily routine. So I said yes. And then we had scheduled this you know, months ago, but leading up to it, a I had all these projects. Okay, sorry. S- side note: I realized as I edit these podcasts, I I I have this habit of saying A and B, like A I do this, B it was this, and I I kind of want to stop that. It's funny, I haven't noticed that actually. Oh, I yeah, editing this podcast, I've become so <laughs> aware of all my speaking habits, and I'm really trying to break some of them. Maybe I need to edit some. you're overly censoring yourself uh anyways so oh shoot i lost my train of thought so uh you don't normally do portrait sessions but oh yeah yeah. but this but this week leading up to it we did it on black friday i was feeling a little stressed out because i i had so many other things i needed to get done i had to prep for my class i had these other photo shoots i had to edit and it was so weird how I mean, I knew this, but practice really makes such a huge difference when it comes to your workflow and ease of mind. I was researching YouTube videos on posing because it was a larger group. And then there were things with pricing that I realized I, in hindsight I should have done differently. But because it was so new, I just didn't think of it. So, you know, so nowadays, if someone asks me for, um, if they ask me if I'm available to do a dance show, I know the questions to ask beforehand. I know the gear I should bring. I know the things to ask. So I walk in prepared, you know, like how long is the show? What do you need? When do you need it by, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of dance? Where? What kind of setting is it in? All those different things that could potentially affect the price that I give them. And then when I was talking to this mom, in her defense, she had mentioned Oh, my parents want to do it. My my sister and her uh, husband, you know, might be in it. But that was like three months ago. So then when we were leading up to it, when, when we were figuring out price, I totally forgot about that. And so I gave them the rate I would have given for just their family. And Based on how long the entire session would take or the number of different poses you're going to have to do? Like well, and that's, you- that's the thing. I don't really have a a model set up for family portraits. So I just gave them like a lump sum kind of to do the mm-hmm. whole thing. It was one of those, like, I don't know how well this is going to turn out. So I don't really want to charge a whole lot, even though I know I have the skills to do it kind yeah. of thing. Plus I know them like, it's just a weird, you know, mixture of things that affected 
uh, how I priced it. But then afterwards, I was like, oh, well, it's a larger group. I should have charged more. Like, they could have split the cost. It wouldn't have been as bad, maybe. Or, you know, like... Mm -hmm. And then when I got there, just posing was challenging because you had so many bodies. So figuring out how to how to fig how to not just have two lines of people, which yeah. kind of happened, I think, a little bit. But, you know, a lot of them they were like they had some kids that were really short. Then you had some grandparents who I didn't want to have them stand the whole time. They had brought a baby, so I didn't want the baby to be out in the cold for too long. So we were trying to really be efficient. They also brought mm -hmm. a dog and that was like, Oh my gosh, so many elements I've never worked with before. And I just like, ah, and, and it was just you, right. You didn't have like someone yeah. helping you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's luckily really the weather was really good minus the fact that it was a little chilly, but the lighting was great. I found a really great location in DC, but even things like prep, like when I do a dance photo shoot, I, I know exactly what to tell the dancer as far as, you know, uh, your makeup, your hair, bring water, bring extra this, extra that. And with a family portrait, I was like, um, I mean, bring water and a hairbrush. I, I, you know, like I don't it's just, it's just such a different workflow that I don't and I don't normally do it. And I got so anxious leading up to it. I really don't like change and new things, even though I know it's good for me to do new things and try new challenges. And this was like the safest version of a challenge you could think of because I already knew them. They already love me. I had plenty of time to do it. Like it wasn't a hard yeah. new situation to do, but leading up to it, I just got so anxious. I was like, should I cancel on them? Like, uh, <laughs> I just don't, I just don't, you know, so, but, it, but it turned out fine. It was just a really interesting mix of emotions leading up to the, the event and afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I used to be that nervous for like every dance show that I shot and like every photography job that I did. So yeah. Well, I it was weird because, while. yeah, well, because going into a dance show, not that I'm not nervous, but you know, I, I am totally fine. I know how to handle myself, but the, but this family portrait, which most people have you know, it's, it's a little bit more normal, I would say, than a dance show. I get so much more nervous. <laughs> yeah. Well, posing portraits is like really hard too because they either look super posed and awkward or they look candid and amazing. But there's kind of not a really good like middle ground. Yeah. Like if it's slightly off, it's like noticeably off, right? And especially with bigger groups of people, like getting everybody to look natural at the same time. Like, I think that takes a ton of practice. Yeah. Also a small detail I kind of knew about myself, but it, I really noticed it during the session. I'm really bad with names mm. and I've always feel bad when I have to say like blue shirt, move over a little bit. Like I really want to know your name and say your name and look, and I even knew half the group already because they, I used to teach them and I knew the mom. So I was just learning like her parents' names and uh, her sister. But even then, my brain was, like, half my brain, I felt like, was being used just to remember names. And then the other half was worried about, where's the lighting? Where's How's the posing? Like, oh, be funny and interact with them to get reactions. And, and like, it was just mm -hmm. a lot. I was like, so much. <laughs> so it was outside. What time of day did you do it? Uh, we did it at around 3 o'clock. And the light was good. Yeah, yeah it was on his setting it was earlier. it was a little bit before golden hour i had buffered a little bit of extra time in case we were running late or things like mm -hmm. that uh so we actually and we finished earlier than i thought so we actually 
almost missed golden hour because we were so efficient actually hmm. which was a pleasant surprise i guess i would just i just found shade so i didn't have to worry about um shadows and stuff instead of waiting for the sun to actually go past the horizon yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it worked out it was it was beautiful colors like there were leaves on the ground things were golden you know that fall orange red so it was really nice definitely a good time of year for portraits and stuff like that yeah did you get anything on black friday find any good deals (gasps) did you get lights or flashes i didn't get anything unfortunately (laughs) did you hear how excited i was like ooh, new toys (laughs) well what i did almost do is i'm walking around the kitchen telling my mom how i need to like buy a speed light for events and she's like oh i think we have one oh that's nice in the uh, cupboard over there I think we have one from when we used to like you know do a lot of photography and I was like really like can I just take it temporarily and use it and like bring it back maybe and then we couldn't find it oh so it's like somewhere in the house um, I was gonna say that's that'd be kind of funny you just keep all your photo gear in the kitchen like in your cupboards yeah. <laughs> basically that's where we were like looking like just right next to the kitchen but yeah I ended up not getting any, getting anything because like Black Friday is pretty close to Christmas and my birthday because my birthday is right after Christmas. Um, So I don't know. I could tell that like my parents wanted to know what was on my wish list. There's really (laughs) not a lot that's on my wish list this year. Um, This was one of those weird years where like as soon as I needed new gear, I kind of just had to get it for specific things. Yeah. Um, Like I just had to like... In the past, it's been like, oh, I, I want this lens, but I definitely don't need it yet. So I'm just going to kind of wait, like save up, wait for a good deal. But this year was like, I need this thing. So I'm going to buy it right now. Like I got a new camera bag just randomly because the zippers on my other one broke. Like that would have been a good like wait for Black Friday kind of deal. But like when your camera bag has no zipper, you need to just buy a new one right then. Or, you know, duct tape. Yeah, no, not on the subway. <laughs> with a lot of gear in it. <laughs> Uh, yeah so no i didn't get anything Yo, know, and it's so hard now all the things i want to get are so expensive i feel bad telling people you know like yeah. if people want to give me a i don't know i feel like 50 dollars, maybe up to 100 dollars. if you're a family that's maybe the maximum i would feel comfortable like if they ask me what do you want like that's the price range but all the things i want now are like i don't know five hundred dollars and up so yeah. i'm like well i'm not gonna ask you to get me that for christmas or you know like <laughs> yeah it's pretty expensive so, i had a real adulting moment though on black friday instead of getting gear i bought myself a new mattress <laughs> <laughs> and it felt so satisfying and i felt so, i'm so excited for it to get here <laughs> yeah when you get excited over mundane things like that that's when you know mm-hmm. you're getting older yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i'm really excited i got a purple mattress because i've been seeing their advertisements everywhere but on youtube on podcasts on whatever it is and uh i'm also a sucker i think for good advertisement because i work in that space a little bit so i recognize all the work that that went into Mm -hmm. it and how it's targeting their demographic aka me really well yeah also like some influencers that i follow also recommended it so and i researched it it looked fine so i was like yeah sure, why not they have a black friday deal going on so it's getting here on thursday i'm really excited yay 
I have a um, purple like seat cushion thing. Are you sitting on it right now? I'm not sitting on it right now, but it's at the table in the kitchen. It's oh, really okay. comfortable. <laughs> so their mattress is probably super comfortable too. And I like the fact that it's purple and like <laughs> engineered in a rubbery like oh yeah, it's like that sort of way. That space material. That's what, like one of their selling points. Yeah, like developed by astronauts or whatever. I mean, that's so cool. That's the perfect like gear obsessed photographer's version of mattress, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but it also made me think about how ineffective our marketing is as dancers in general. Mm-hmm. Because whenever I have friends who are in a performance, I feel like, and this is just from what I see, but I feel like all their marketing consists of maybe posting a few pictures on social media and you do that and you hope people come to your show and that's i'm glad they're at least doing that but that's such a bare minimum ineffective way of reaching people and i'm and i also do that too but a lot of times i'm not the one creating the work so i don't feel as invested in getting people to come that feels that feels terrible to say but like because I'm not the one that's putting out the money to rent the space, like the theater mm-hmm. or anything. Like I am always just acting as a performer for the company. Yeah. So I, I'm like, so if my friends come, great. If not, you know, it's not your job necessarily right. to fill the house. Right. But for people who, for example, maybe are performing in a showcase kind of event mm-hmm. where you're sharing the evening with other people, but you all chipped in to pay for the space. Or maybe you had to pay a submission fee. Like you want more people to come because then you get ticket revenue or whatever it is. I just feel like there's so many choreographers I see who are who could be getting so many more people if they just thought about marketing their show a little bit more and a little bit differently. But I think because you're so wrapped up often in the choreographic process that you that you forget about that. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. This is something I think about a lot. Like if a tree falls in the forest sort of situation, like you can spend all of your time wrapped up in the choreographic process. But if nobody comes to your show, did you make a dance? You know, like, yes, ultimately. But if the purpose of what you're doing is to create something that other people are seeing, then you somehow have to get people there. And I've been finding, too, like I have two shows coming up of my own choreography and the venues have like specifically said you are responsible for bringing people here to see your work you know like you can't just roll in and hope that we as a venue have like packed the house like it's a split bill situation and so we're asking the artists to do their part um i get that pretty frequently well and i think the it's not that the artists don't want to do their part i think is they don't know how to do it efficiently and effectively so Mm -hmm. All, if all you know is social media, then of course that's all you're going to do unless you find people who have experience in, I don't know, print advertising or Facebook ads or, you know, whatever it is. But I feel like also another issue is oftentimes dancers are always just marketing it to dancers in their community mm-hmm. who are poor or really cheap. Yes. You know, <laughs> or would or would have come anyways. But I feel like there's not never, but there's there's very little focus on bringing outside people into the dance community 
to see the work who might have more money who could actually pay you you know yeah to see the show which is just always an interesting thought yeah it's basically like the same like twenty dollar bill is just being passed around to the same people because it's like you go to a show and you pay the venue that twenty dollar bill and then they pay it to the choreographer and then the choreographer goes to class and they pay it to the venue and then the venue pays it back to you when you taught there and then you go back to a show and you give it to someone else like there's besides grant funding there's not like well there's also individual donations but you don't have a lot of like I mean New York City's filled with people working in finance and like computer science and all of these things and I don't find that a lot of them are people spending their money on supporting the arts or they are supporting the arts but not at like the smaller more like downtown experimental theaters right Mm -hmm. and those are the places where it's like they they need the money the most you know yeah well because also marketing this could be a huge huge rabbit hole but it's like uh you have to think of it from start to finish so from the time where people hear about your show to how they purchase their ticket to when they get to the venue how they experience the show afterwards if there's any follow-up like that is all part of the process and Mm -hmm. i feel like oftentimes choreographers only think about the the in theater moment right so the you know like so the most they'll do is they'll post a couple maybe they'll make a flyer or they'll post some pictures before the show hoping to get people in but they don't really think about the the person's experience as they walk into the venue and then they don't ever really follow up afterwards if there's an email follow-up, if there's a talk back or you're mingling in the reception and talking to people other than the friends that you invited, you know, like there's so many things that go into the whole experience that will then draw people to come back to see your work again. The next time you have mm-hmm. work somewhere else that I think a lot of choreographers don't think about until they get to a point where maybe they're a bigger, a slightly more experienced company, you know, or something like that. But even then, mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of ways that artists could be engaging potential audiences better. Yeah. I think it's like, it's hard to do though if you're not self producing your own show. Like, I self produced a show and I was able to have control over all of those things, you know, what it was like for the audience members to come to the theater and all of that. But if your work is being shown like split bill at a venue, you know, you don't have the audience email addresses. You don't know what the program's going to look like. You don't know where the table's going to be set up. Like you just get, you come in early and you're in your own green room area. And then it's like, it's up to the venue to make that experience something memorable. Yeah. But even things, and again, uh, I agree. And I think a lot of times it's also the venue has its own specific rules, but I feel like most artists don't even think about asking the venue, hey, can Mm -hmm. I put something out in the lobby for people to sign up for my newsletter? Or is it possible for me to get a copy of um, all the emails from the audience members because they had to use their email to purchase a a ticket? So can Mm -hmm. I get a copy of those emails for my, you know, or things like that where I feel like people just don't think about things because they're so they're so focused on the dance making that and they don't have that marketing experience yeah you know and these are all things that like i never went to school for marketing it's just things i've been slowly picking up as i've been working at dance place more so i'm more aware of these things 
Like before I got mm-hmm. to dance place and I was only dancing with companies, all, all the stuff I would never have even thought about. Yeah, I've been, I feel like, uh, words. I've been using what's been working well in my photography business also for marketing dance projects. And that's been like working really well for me. But I think people who don't have any experience like running their own business and what the marketing is like for that, it might be harder for them to know what do you do for like marketing art. And I think what you just said is a really good point. I think most choreographers, and I'm saying choreographers, not dancers who are working with choreographers or companies, Mm -hmm. but a lot of choreographers don't see their art making as a business. Yeah. Even if they're super serious about it, they still see it as a really serious hobby or passion almost you know like Mm -hmm. they don't treat it like a business which yeah (laughs) or they assume that there's like no money really in it anyway but like maybe if you really use some business marketing skills it is possible to like pull in new audience members who make bigger donations and all of that so you mentioned like people use instagram right so what other ways maybe should dancers or choreographers be marketing their work outside of Instagram besides like hanging paper flyers like in restaurants? Yeah. Because or... um, I, I used to do like the little cards like for my shows, like print a little postcard size thing, mm-hmm. leave that at venues. But like, like, I don't know if they get picked up by people or if that really works. I guess I wonder like online marketing that's not Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, well, and I think... For me, at least when I've been working, because I because I do so much work with social media specifically, I think something that would be beneficial for artists is to. I'm always trying to uh, figure out how to create a sense of FOMO for the audience, mm-hmm. right? So like, yeah, making it seem like a really cool or interesting experience that you don't want to miss out on. I think that's a really big thing with millennials, especially, and you know that generation, or things. So creating things that or creating marketing material that creates a sense of FOMO or just helps lower the barrier of entry so people feel like they are more prepared going into the theater. So I think things like creating short behind-the-scenes videos I think are really nice because people want to feel like they know what's going on before they go into the theater a little bit more or they Mm want to see the work that's gone into it. Um. I think also if you have a specific demographic, like if the if your work is about a certain research topic, finding local groups that are into that. So that dance place, whenever we have, um, I don't know, for example, like a more hip hop based group, we will reach out to like student groups at universities that are like hip hop groups or things like that. So they're not in our immediate circle, but they are related and they're already interested in that topic, right? So if you're doing a piece like um like the like your friend they did a photo shoot with, mm-hmm. if she was doing if 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 she was doing a full dance work based on her those that neuroscience research, right? Then maybe it's reaching out to some uh, science groups at different institutions in your area, and s- sending them a direct email saying, "Hi, my name is this. I'm a choreographer in the area. I've been." creating this work based on this here is some information about the work i would love to see you at the show i even here's even like a, a discount code if you guys want to come mm-hmm. you know things like that yeah i think 
uh, just some ideas. Make a podcast and, you know, Definitely. get your name out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not just for one <laughs> dance work. But I think a lot of it is creating a sense of FOMO and creating your own brand. So people, rec- so your local community rec- recognizes you, mm-hmm. at least when mm-hmm. you start out. I think it can be um, uh, like, I think it can feel like not a waste of time necessarily, but like for the amount of work that you put in, you're not going to get a clear, like increased. Yeah. Like the amount of money that you're going to make from the show, if anything is rarely, at least in my experience based on ticket sales, Mm -hmm. it's usually like for this show, the artist fee is like, x amount of dollars if we fill up the house cool if we don't whatever you still get the money and then thinking down the line to like well having more people interested in my work is obviously a good thing but am I going to put in two hours every day like making these videos and marketing my work and in three years make an extra two hundred dollars like I don't know it's it's kind of hard to wrap your head around sometimes the work that you're doing and if the if the time that you would spend marketing your work is actually better spent just in the studio making the work because with photography or hmm, something that's like an interesting that thought. yeah i've found like i was posting a lot of photos recently from one show that i did and i was on the train i posted one photo and 10 minutes later a dancer contacted me and asked me to shoot their show she's like i love your work we have rehearsals on these days could you come to rehearsal or could you come to the show and I was like this is a classic example of like I post a photo 10 minutes later get a job and like that happens a lot for me in photography like you do a little bit of work and it's an immediate return but with dance it's like really ambiguous when that return even happens or what that is or is it monetary or is it in increased viewers like if you're like me and keep excel sheets of all of this stuff like is there any increase of anything Um, Or is it all just like, like, does the business mindset even really work if you're like a freelance choreographer and you don't have like a company, like a fiscally sponsored, well-recognized company, but you're just like a person making work, getting curated by some places. Like how much work do you, should you even be putting in for marketing for any sort of benefit? You know? Yeah. I guess I would argue if you're, if you're trying to make a living from your dance then you should definitely look at it as a business and i think marketing i mean if if you don't care that people come to see your dance then it's a hobby exactly yeah because you make money from like you have to have people see it for it to make any income even if it's from donors they have to see your work um and i would argue any marketing material you make is also documentation which mm-hmm. you can use to submit to other things. You know, if you make a short behind the scenes video, that's also material that you can then use to market the piece the next time you are performing it at a different venue or, you know, things like that. And it's all, uh, it's just creating a sense of branding for yourself. And yeah, um, it definitely takes more effort and more work and a different mentality. But I think all, I think to, uh, but thinking about all the different companies, at least in like the DMV area, I think the companies that are really starting to do well are the ones that put in the effort mm-hmm. to do a little bit more marketing. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm definitely like pro marketing your work. Like I'm not saying, oh, dancers out there don't market yourself, but I yeah. do recognize that it's not so easy because yeah, no, it's totally. a lot of time and you're not getting a clear return right away. Um, and so I kind of, I, I understand why people don't do so much of it, but I also really wish that more venues paid choreographers based on ticket sales or the percentage of the audience that somehow like if they could figure out who came to see their piece in the show or like some sort of way of incentivizing people to try to get more people there. That's not mm -hmm. just like you should get people to see your work because you care about people seeing your work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But like yeah, if I... time is money and people are putting in time to bring people there. There should be some sort of benefit or compensation for that. Yeah. And I realize there are a lot of nuances that I am not aware of with how theaters work and every theater also probably has a different model. Um, but I mean, I, I think if you're trying to present and create work, it, it is beneficial to even maybe find someone to help you with marketing. Then mm -hmm. if you don't feel like you can do it all, you know, and that then going back to like that business model, well then you have to make a budget for that and budget in money to, pay someone to help you with marketing yeah when I self-produced a show at the tank last December so I guess it was like a year ago um I paid for like my Instagram posts to be boosted to like that increased audience at I was surprised that if you just put in like a few dollars it actually increases the audience by a lot like I was reaching like thousands of people with putting in like $10, which to me felt worth it, but none of them came to the show. Like there was nobody <laughs> at the show who I didn't already know, you know, like I even like, I don't know, uh, was in an Uber and the Uber driver asked me where I worked and I said, I have a show and they were like, I'm going to come. And I gave them the postcard and they were not there. You know, I think there's a lot of like, I think the more you do that, almost the more discouraging it can get. Like I spent all of this money. Like if two people from the Instagram boosts had come, it would have paid back the money that I spent on boosting those posts. But like of the thousands of people in New York who saw those posts, none of them came. Yeah. Working at Dance Place, I have a similar feeling where I feel like social media is one of the ways we are the we are most visible to the community, but it's also the hardest to figure out the return on all that work yeah you know like i can i can spend hours working on a video or animation but at the end of the day i really have no idea how much that work affected someone's decision to come see the show because we also mm -hmm. do print marketing we have other ways that we use to reach our audiences and again i think i think you should have multiple ways because it's all about repetition Right. Like same thing with that purple mattress, because I kept seeing all their videos on Facebook, on YouTube, on podcasts. I would like go past a bus and there was an ad on, you know, like because I saw it so many times and I heard so many positive things about it from people that I trusted that mm -hmm. then led me to make the decision, decision to purchase the mattress. So I think it's like, how can us as dancers and dance makers create multiple ways for people to see that information so then they it does pop into their head and mm -hmm. they do want to come see it i don't know and even if like nobody comes to see the show because of that animation that you made if you have 
one person in DC asking another person in DC, like, hey, I'm new to town. Where's a good place to see shows? You want them to think like, oh, I see a lot of stuff from Dance Place. Right. Or like when I think of the venues that like have really cool marketing, I think of Dance Place. Yeah. You know, and I think the only way to do that is to put the marketing out there. But it might be like a while until you get any sort of return. That's yeah. actual ticket. That's an actual ticket sales. Yeah. Like you, more than just a reputation. Yeah. Actually, funny story. I So on my Facebook, I kind of keep it not just business. I'll post personal stuff too. But I'm always sharing dance videos I see or posting about you know dance stuff. And I'll randomly get people message me saying, hey, I'm getting married. I always see you posting dance stuff. Do you choreograph first dances? Or, hey, I need a private lesson. I'm interested in private lessons. Or, hey, I'm looking for a studio. Do you have any suggestions? Because I'm always posting stuff about dance. So it's kind of that same idea, like just keeping the content going. So you're always top of mind. So even if you're not, what they're looking for right now the next time they need something similar you're the first person they go to Mm -hmm. yeah I frequently hire um headshot assistants like whenever I'm whenever I have a headshot job I like pay somebody to help me hold reflectors and like fix their shirts and stuff it just like is less stressful and usually the people I hire are dancer friends who I think probably have a flexible schedule so when I think through hmm who do I know a lot of the people that I think of it's like I've seen their stuff recently on Instagram, like their face has been popping up or like I've Mm -hmm. seen their name frequently or like things like that. I'm not going to think of someone who like I met once who maybe were friends on Facebook, but like they never post anything. So how would I know? You know, there's something about just like staying on people's minds, like by continuously like just popping up places like you don't really know where that's going to lead you. Like maybe it's a dance job. But maybe it's a babysitting gig or maybe it's just like recommending a studio to someone. Um, But at least, yeah, at least you're like still, you know, circling (laughs) around, like staying active. Mm -hmm. All right. We're coming to time. So we should go to Discovery of the Week. Do you want me to go first (laughs) while you think of yours? I'll think of mine while you do yours. Okay. I want to shout out uh, the Count Me In podcast there. I, I know them now because I was a guest on their podcast a while ago. But if you are interested in dance education, I highly recommend it. Uh, but they're one of their, I think the most recent episode, they interviewed someone. Her name is Katie Groven. And she has this website, dancer-fitness.com. And it's such a great resource. She's a personal trainer who kind of specializes in working with dancers. And she created this uh and she created this website to help dancers with different workouts and exercises specifically to help you as a mover. So she has, I don't know how many videos of just different exercises and you can sort through it to see, I want to work on this part of the body, this part of the body. I want to work on jumping or whatever, whatever it is. She has all these individual exercises broken down and they're all available and free on her website. And then she also has like workout plans that you pay for it um, if you want to do that. So I've started looking at that and I'm actually thinking about even paying for one of the plans because body maintenance and fitness is something that I struggle with. And I really want to start getting better with doing that. And because I have so many back issues, 
um, I need to do a lot of work to like strengthen my glutes and activate those muscles and things like that. So I really, I, I guess that was actually almost two discoveries. So count me in podcast and dancer-fitness.com or on Instagram, it's dancer underscore fitness.com underscore. So you should check those out. Okay, I thought of one. <laughs> wow, good job. You didn't have anything at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> I was also listening to your discovery, and that sounds really cool. <laughs> All right, so what's um, yours? So, okay, um, I've been using the same method. Okay, I need to say that again. <laughs> edit, edit. Um, so over Thanksgiving, I was taking a lot of photos of just like my dog, as I said earlier, and also my family, like cooking turkey and things like that. And rather than keeping all of the photos like I used to do, I kind of used the same method of like ruthlessly culling things that looked similar and like deleting them and sorting them in Lightroom the same way that I would for like a photo shoot or a dance show, um, which is kind of interesting to like think of it that way. Um, but I think it's really useful because file sizes are really big and um I was like shooting in raw, which maybe I shouldn't have because I was just shooting for fun. But um, yeah, I feel like trying to use the same methods when you're working and also just shooting for fun is like good practice to stay in those habits. And then also just like remember that you don't need to keep every single photo that you take. Like you can keep one cute one of the dog <laughs> and then delete the rest. Save hard drive space. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. And I think I'll save this for another episode, but I'm finally getting to the point where I'm running out of storage and I already have multiple external hard drives. So, and we were texting about this over the a weekend, little bit, yeah. but I'm thinking about finally investing in a raid system. So I will keep y'all posted. I didn't find any like super amazing Black Friday deals. So I'm just waiting now, but yeah, I think in the next month or so before the year ends i'm gonna buy a system and we'll get into that more next yeah, time an episode on that so cliffhanger stay tuned all right cool well you can follow us on social media still in motion podcasts on instagram still in motion podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us with any feedback or questions or things you want us to talk about and you can also follow us on our personal instagrams mine is jsu media jhsu media and Catherine is Catherine.butler. that's k-a-t-h-r-y-n and big shout out to shannon mcconnell for making the amazing music that's at the beginning and end of each episode and amanda blythe for our graphic design and see you next week that's it bye that's it. bye <laughs>